And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today we're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to start with talking about family and, and why that's important. Uh, there's, a, there's a piece that, that's talking about why Canada needs uh, a family structure uh, from a political standpoint. And, and although this piece is specifically talking about Canada, and maybe you're listening going, well, what does that have to do with us? I think it's important as we look at what's happening across the landscape in, in the United States and Canada, across the globe, when it comes to family formation. And, and it goes back to what we've been talking about on this show really for years, is that the, the secular culture scientists and studies and all the research that's being done points to the need for good family structure, mom, dad, children in the home. And, and preferably, even in a secular culture, husband, wife, children in a home. And, and we know this because when we look at the data, when we look at the research, that's where most flourishing happens. And we also know this, that, that even those that, are, that would be considered far left when it comes to family formation, when it comes to they, they attack the West and our traditional values, but even the far left folks, the ones that vote far left, the ones that, that protest and say the things that, that the far left say, when you step into their world, especially those that, that would be considered elite, those that, that are financially uh, stable and, and in good scenarios, when you step into their world, what you find is they are living traditional values. Husband, wife, mom, dad in the home with the children. Oftentimes, those children are in private school. They, they value, they, they may vote differently, but in terms of what they actually practice in their home, they value traditional family structure. And so this piece uh, is interesting, and, and again, it's, entitled Canada Needs a Family Formation Policy Framework. On a recent trip to Ottawa, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton shared the stage with Canadian Deputy Prime Minister Freeland during the Liberal Party of Canada's annual convention. Clinton praised the Canadian government's policy agenda, including the introduction of a $10 a day national child care program. Freeland first introduced the five-year $30 billion national child care program as part of the 2021 federal budget declaring, quote, there is agreement across the political spectrum that early learning and child care is the national economic policy we need now. Months before the federal budget speech, numerous news and opinion articles declared that Canada was in a pandemic induced she session, a term that found its way into the federal budget. There would be no economic recovery, particularly for women, we were told, without national child care. To quote the other Clinton's 1992 campaign, it's the economy, stupid. The promotion of a $10 a day child care as economic policy illustrates the problem with Canadian family policy, which is that we don't have one. Yes, we have substantial direct cash benefits to parents, general, generous parental leave, and plenty of funded services. Yet, we still lack any coherent strategy for encouraging strong, stable family life. As University of Windsor political scientist Lydia uh, Millian writes, Generally speaking, family policy in Canada may be characterized as an uncoordinated hodgepodge of policies based on assumptions that are not always clearly recognized or even consistent. 
and delivered by an assortment of institutions, including not only agencies of all three levels of government, but also privately run organizations like provincial children's aid societies, big brothers, big sisters, family planning clinics, and so on. A new Cardis report envisioning a federal family formation policy framework for Canada argues for a clear-eyed vision for Canadian family policy. Canadians value family life, but for complex reasons are partnering and marrying later and having fewer children than they say they would like. While all stages of family life are important, Canada needs to pay attention to the transition into partnership and marriage and to having children. The federal government is only one actor among state and civil society institutions that can help families. Even as one of the most distant actors from daily family life, by reforming current programs and pursuing innovative policy options, the federal government can increase opportunity for family formation by removing barriers. The hodgepodge collection of policies affecting families are often directed toward individual family members rather than respecting that families make decisions as a unit. For example, an expressed intent behind national child care is to increase the number of mothers in the workforce, while paternity leave in Quebec is intended to nudge fathers toward a larger share of caregiving. These may be laudable policy objectives, but families make these decisions as a unit, not as individuals. Families are social institutions that form their members, and they act in the collective interest of those members. Individuals negotiate their interests within families, but do so with consideration for the family as a unit. The tension around the role of the state in intra-family decision-making is most notable in how the state directs public policy towards children. Political scientist Jane Jensen and her co-author uh, describe two paradigms for Canadian public policy. The family responsibility paradigm in identifies families as the primary authority in determining the well-being of children. Policy approaches under this paradigm maximize flexibility for family decision-making. Direct government involvement is reserved for situations where children's well-being is in danger. The second model is the investing in children paradigm, focused on early intervention through services that come around children and their families. Parents are important, but the paradigm emphasizes the expertise of state and civil society actors. The preferred approach as Cardis is to empower families as the primary caregiving community around children, with the authority and obligation to ensure the well-being of children. Institutions can best help children by working in partnership with children's caregivers. In most cases, public policy should maximize flexibility that allows families to make decisions best suited for the family. I could go on and on about that, but, but here's the reality. What you're seeing is two paradigms. One that says the, the most important aspect and the most important vehicle for helping a family is the government. Even you've seen this in the United States. You, you see President Biden. You see Kamala Harris. You see others standing at podiums and saying, these are not your children. They are our children. That mindset is the paradigm that says government is king. That mindset is the paradigm that is saying the, the answer is found in government funds. The answer is found in government policies. The answer is found in government programs. That's wrong. It's wrong philosophically. It's wrong in practice. And it certainly isn't going to encourage any type of bipartisan work together. The paradigm we need to be focusing on, not just in Canada, but, but in America and other places, is one that says the family is elevated 
The family is elevated. And the government in its policies, the government in its funding, should create and understand the flexibility. That's why we have conversations on school choice. That's why we have conversations on daycare and, and vouchers. That's why we have conversations on food stamps and WIC and, and all of these things. It should be coming in and understanding that, hey, the government is there as a safety net. The government is there to promote and, and help cultivate thriving families. The government should not be there to simply say we are the answer. The government shouldn't be there just to say we're going to cut a check and everything's going to go well. We've done that. We've seen that in practice. And we still see problems that, that arise from it. But, but ultimately what we're missing across all of this, and, and this is for people on the left and on the right and in the middle, when we have a biblical worldview, family is, is designed by the Creator, by God. And so then, if God designed my family, then, then I need to be seeking out what God has for my family. And in, and in our household... Again, with a biblical worldview, what is supreme? Who is supreme? Is it the government? Is it a king? Is it the president? Is it a political party? Is it, is it justices in black robes? No. What it should be, the, the, the one that is supreme is the God of the universe. And so when we make decisions for our family, we do so in that framework. Because who knows better for your children? You or some bureaucrat that's not involved in your day-to-day -day activity. That doesn't mean there isn't a place for government. We have organizations and, 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 and programs designed to help protect children if they're in a dangerous situation at home. We have programs designed to help children where, where they've been orphaned or, or they, they do not need to live in the home with mom or with dad. But in some ways, we haven't cultivated environments that allow for families to thrive. And again, oftentimes what happens is there, the answer in Washington or the answer at your state capital is we're going to cut a check and that's going to fix everything. We even saw that back during the pandemic. What, what did they say? We need to put money in the hands of the people. Did it fix everything? Now, some people had some money in the bank for a little while. We saw debt go down, but now that's been reversed, and it's gone right back up. Credit card debt is now right back up. So, so it might have put a Band-Aid on something for a brief moment, but again, the, the answer isn't always just cut a check. Sometimes it is school choice. Sometimes it is allowing a family to thrive. But when politicians come out and say that, that those aren't your children, they're our children, well, that doesn't, that doesn't put inside of me, you know what, I'd like to sit down and have a thoughtful conversation with that person. 
Because if we're coming in with a framework that you think my kids aren't my kids, that they're your kids, well, we have a problem. And again, a secular culture, one that that sees government as supreme or one that sees you go be and do whatever you want to be and do. When when we live in that mindset, they have no answer when the data and studies show, hey, traditional family values have been what sustained our society and our culture for decades and decades and decades. But you see, they can't say that because we, we live in a time where they're, they're saying, well, there is no traditional roles. There's no traditional gender roles. There's no role for a husband. There's no role for a mom. There is no tradition in any of that. There is no value system. So, so we can't say the best thing to do and the best avenue for success for these children is to be in a traditional setting with their mom and dad. We, we can't say that. What, we, what the government instead does and what these folks instead do and policy wonks, and and all these folks do, is they say, we're going to individualize everything. So we're not going to think that this family is making a decision as a unit. We're going to individualize it. And what comes from that is policies that that force families to keep their kids in failing schools. What, What comes from that is policies that enforce families to say, well, I could take this promotion, but if I start making a little bit more money, then I'm going to lose any assistance that I may be getting. What, what we could do is create environments that allow for families to flourish, that encourage men and women to get married. Instead, what we do is we create policies that do not incentivize that, that actually hurts that family unit, if they were to walk down the aisle and say, I do. You see, we, we, we are not making decisions based on the flourishing of family. The reality is Republicans and Democrats both oftentimes make decisions based on what's going to help them at the election, at the next election. And that's not the answer. We need to be doing what we can to cultivate families, to encourage the family unit, to encourage marriage, to encourage having babies, to encourage those traditional values. And I know that's a big no-no to say in 2023, but the reality is that has been the answer for decades. Our culture just refuses to admit it. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation today, on the, on the same line of thinking with, with the first segment, when we look at what is supreme, and, and I'm, again, I, no matter what, where you fall on the political spectrum, no matter where you fall on your value system, all of us, something is supreme in our life. And the reality is there are Republicans and Democrats that see the Oval Office as supreme that see Supreme Court decisions as supreme, that see the way you vote as supreme. But again, if you have a biblical worldview and a biblical framework, those things, although important, those things, although good, should not be supreme. The supreme is the ruler of the universe, the God 
of the universe, the God that created us, the God that gave us salvation, the God that forgives us of our sins, the God that, that brings about a, a faith inside of us, that gives us an eternity in heaven. That, that should be supreme. And so as we have these conversations and as we think about what we are to do and the direction we should take our family and, and all these things, everything has to go through that biblical worldview. If it isn't, then we are missing the point. If it doesn't go through that biblical worldview framework, then what we are doing is we are evangelizing, but we are evangelizing for the wrong thing. We are making disciples, but we are making disciples of what? Making good little Republicans, making good little Democrats. So, so we have to think through this. When we think about family policy, when we think about family structure, when we think about abortion, when we think about should I have kids or should I not have kids, should I get married or should I not get married, when we think about these things, it must be and must go through a biblical framework and a biblical worldview. But does that ever cross our mind? Or do we just see ourselves as our politics? Do we just see ourselves as policies? There's a piece over at Live Action. And it's interesting because we are, we are at a place in time in our society where population is declining. Birth rates are declining. And they go into it. In a June 1st article... The Economist highlighted a brutal possibility. The global decline in population could be the catalyst for an economic collapse by the end of the century. No matter what environmentalists claim, said the magazine, a below stable population rate will have a negative effect on society. But it claims the solution for the U.S. is neither to have more babies nor invite more immigrants. Before the end of this century, said The Economist, the number of people on the planet could shrink for the first time since the Black Death. The cause is not a surge in deaths, but a slump in births. The magazine notes that in 2000, the world's fertility rate was 2.7 births per woman, above the replacement rate of 2.1, which is considered stable. In 2023, that rate is now 2.3, and is predicted to continue declining. With numbers or with numerous countries facing a fertility rate below 2.1, including the U.S., a critical time has arrived. As older generations die and there is no one born to replace them, there will be fewer young adults working to support the pensions of the retired. Rather than having three people between ages 20 and 64 for every one person over 65, by 2050, the economist believes that the ratio will be less than two to one. The aging society will topple over. The implications are higher taxes, later retirements, lower real returns for savers, and possibly government budget crisis, it said. But, said the economist, low ratios of workers to pensioners are only one problem stemming from collapsing fertility. As we explained this week, younger people have more of what psychologists call fluid intelligence, the ability to think creatively so as to solve problems in entirely new ways. Combined with the, the, with the experience and intelligence of older workers, positive change can come about. Without the influx of younger workers with creative minds, there will be, quote, enormous missed opportunity, end quote. Innovations never created, cures never found, products never developed or produced, new environmental protection plans never dreamed up. 
This is not a new warning by any means. In 2008, a documentary examined the shrinking global population. Demographic winner, the decline of the human family, explained that the expected demographic winner will be caused by a worldwide decline in birth rates. In 2017, Elon Musk began speaking out against the population decline, and in 2019, he warned that the biggest problem facing the world in 20 years is population collapse. While some see the solution to be as simple as encouraging couples to have more children or to have any children at all, European nations have begun offering incentives to couples to have more children. Others want to increase the U.S. population through immigration. But the economist agrees with neither plan. It believes improving educational situations among the poor of the world could be the answer, but also considers it to be too big of an endeavor. AI, it argues, could be the answer. Eventually, AI may be able to generate ideas by itself, reducing the need for human intelligence, it claims. Combined with robotics, AI may also make caring for the elderly less labor-intensive. Such as innovations will certainly be in high demand. If technology does allow humanity to overcome the baby bust, it will fit the historical pattern. Unexpected productivity advances meant that demographic time bombs, such as the mass starvation predicted by Thomas Malthus in the 18th century, failed to detonate. Fewer babies mean less human genius, but that might be a problem human genius can fix, end quote. But this seems an incredibly dismal vision for the future. A society with little human interaction, with robots caring for the elderly, and AI creating the innovations of the future. It's a sci-fi plot line we've seen before, and it's one that never ends well. It's easy to see how assisted suicide could become compulsory. Replacing the human beings of tomorrow with AI will erase the uniqueness and beauty of humankind, of humanity, of God-given gifts and talents meant to change the world. AI may be able to carry out human tasks, but it can never be human. It will never be uniquely and wonderfully made in God's image and will never truly carry out human tasks with humanness. Folks, like, I get it. On, on this show, I'm always talking about having kids. I'm always talking about uh, reproducing and getting married and doing those things. But we have reached a, a point in time in society. And, and don't get me wrong. It, it's not the progress that we have seen over the years is not a bad thing in and of itself. Right? You, you are not having to. Work the land every day just to put food on the table for your family and then get up in the morning and do it all over again just to put food on the table for your family. No, the vast majority of people work a 40-hour work week, some even less than that. And then if you really broke that down with the amount of breaks and lunch and all of those things, you're not even working 40 hours and you're making a living. Your, your kids are going to school. You're able to, to go on vacation once a year. You're able to do things like that. You're able to have cable or, or subscriptions, and you're able to watch and be a part of all these things. Your kids are able to go to gymnastics and dance and, and play sports and all those things. So the progress that we have seen is not in and of itself a bad thing. But this is, this is what I'm talking about. When I talk about the secular culture versus those that have a biblical worldview, a secular culture is going to find answers to our problems in the things of the world. So what you'll find is, hey, we, we, our, our birth rate is, is dipping. We were at 2.7, now we're almost at 2.1. So, so as people are, are aging and dying, we are not reproducing at the same rate to replace them. 
We need a three to one, and we're almost to a two to one. And that, what does that mean? That means people are living longer. That means pension plans. That means you need people to work in order to pay out those pension plans. All these things need to happen in order for society to stay afloat. And instead, what even secular folks are predicting is a possibility of a, of a economic collapse. Why? Because of population. And so as we think about this, some of those folks, because, again, they're secular and they find answers in the world, the answer is, the, is AI. Oh, well, well when, you're, when your mom or dad gets older, you won't have to sit with them. They'll have a robot to sit with them. Oh, you don't have to have kids. You, you can have little AI kids that pick up and do what they're supposed to do and you don't ever have to fuss at. Is that the direction we want to go? I'm going to dive deeper than that when we come back. So as we continue the conversation today, look, when we think about population decline, when we think about all those things, we can have this kind of catastrophic mindset. And, and we can go, woe is me, the sky's falling. And, and, and some of that is, uh, may even be necessary. But when you hear folks like e- Elon Musk or uh, economists or journalists write about these things, it, it does come off as a woe is me, sky's falling, apocalypse is, is near. Why is that? Well, it's because they do not have a biblical worldview. So, so to them, the end is the end, right? If, if an asteroid hits the earth, the end is the end. There is, no, there is nowhere to go after that. But when you have a biblical worldview, we, we say, okay, well, well I'm going to do my part. You know, the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then... Uh, the great commission is go and make disciples of individuals, but also of all nations. And so as we have this conversation, I could spend the rest of the show today dumping on the secular folks and the culture and, you know, they're not having babies and they're not getting married. And, and now part of that is we have devalued traditional values. We have put off marriage purposely and intentionally. Now, some people listening to the show are going, well, I I didn't do that intentionally. It just kind of happened that way. Well, then I'm not talking about you. But we have a number of folks that have purposely put those things off. We live in a society and a culture that has said, for women, you don't need a baby that's going to hurt your career. Or you don't need more than one baby, that's going to hurt your career. And so we have folks that have listened to that. That's not just secular society, though. That, that has made its way into the church. It's made its way into a biblical worldview where, where even folks within the church are saying, look, you, you don't want to get married right now. Wait, you've you got plenty of time. Wait to have your children. Put that down the road. Look, when I got married at, at 22, there were some folks that were... What are you doing? How could you get married that young? Thankfully, my family wasn't those folks because I might have made a different choice had my family said otherwise. 
But, but part of the issue that we're finding, and we talked about it on the show before, is we haven't really, as, as a Christian population, as folks that, that claim to adhere to a biblical worldview and a biblical framework on how we live our life, we haven't really encouraged and illustrated the fruits and the benefits of marriage. We haven't encouraged and illustrated the fruits and the benefits of being parents. So we are raising folks up in a situation where they go, I don't want what mom and dad have. So are we, are we living a life that others want to imitate? Are we living a marriage that others want to imitate? Are we living parenthood in a way that others want to imitate and they, they want that? Or are we living it in such a way that the kids in our home are going, I don't want what y'all have. And the people outside of our home are going, I don't want what y'all have. I want to go do me and live my life and chase my dreams. You see, these are the things that we have to wrestle with. But we have, we have unfortunately created a dynamic where, where we haven't set the bar and, and we haven't laid the framework where our kids are going, I want what you have. I want a marriage like y'all have. I want to have kids so that I can experience what parenting is like y'all have got to experience what parenting is. And here's the thing, when I read that article and I think about how it talks about AI and maybe the AI is the future and if we, if we aren't able to, if our fertility rate continues to go down and we're not having babies and we're not replacing those that, that, are, that are lost, if, if we're not doing that, they, they said that maybe the human genius in creating AI is the answer we need. So maybe AI is the answer so that when I think about uh, people that are in assisted living today or, or people that are living with their, with their children or grandchildren today, that maybe one day in the future they won't have to do that because they can sit with a robot. There's part of me that goes, man, that's real sci-fi. There's part of me that goes, that, that seems like surely we won't go down that path. How could we possibly go down that path where we put the caregiving off to a robot instead of loving and, and taking care of our family? But, but if you've ever visited assisted living or a nursing home, how many men and women are sitting in those rooms completely alone for weeks on end because no one will come see them? Because kids and grandkids won't come see them. You know, we talk about the pandemic and they, they wouldn't let you go visit your, your parents and grandparents in the nursing home. But my question is, how many folks were visiting on them even before that? And then we may think it's far-fetched that we would ever get to a place where robots and AI would take over, but just look around you, anywhere you go, that smartphone in the pocket is kind of taking over, right? It's babysitting our kids, the TV babysits our kids. It keeps them calm in the restaurant, keeps them calm in the grocery store, keeps them calm when we're out and about. So it's not too far-fetched to think that, that we are moving in that direction. 
So the question that we have to wrestle with is, is life valuable enough to participate in? You see, we live in a culture that says, if you get pregnant and you don't want that baby, you can have an abortion and you can move on with your life. Okay, what's the counter to that? The counter to that is, if you get pregnant, even if you weren't prepared for it, that's a life, that's a baby, you need to to have this baby, the man needs to step up to the plate. But we can say that is the counter, but, but are we living that out? Are we living that out in our own lives? Are we celebrating the announcement of pregnancies? Are we celebrating the announcement of marriages? I heard someone say, uh, it was, it was uh, a friend of mine, Rollin Warren, who's the president of CareNet. And he said, don't be surprised when, when the folks that you run into are attending more baby showers than wedding showers in the culture, that, in the context that they live in. Don't be surprised that they choose not to get married. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that we are a culture that is devaluing marriage. We have detached marriage from pregnancy. We have detached marriage from reproducing. We have detached a detached marriage from procreation. All of these things are being detached in our culture. Well, of course they're being detached because, again, we talked about it on the show before, the enemy is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. So part of all of that is if we can detach having a baby from marriage, it's going to be a lot easier to kill via abortion. It's going to be a lot easier to steal. It's going to be a lot easier to destroy family values if, if we can somehow detach having a baby from having a family. If we can somehow detach having a baby from getting married, then, man, it's going to be a lot easier to kill, steal, and destroy. Why? Because there's no one there to to argue. There's no one there to step up. There's no one there to see that this baby would come to be. So we have more people attending baby showers than wedding showers. You know, when I run into folks that they're facing a, a pregnancy and I say, are y'all planning to get married? The, the answer very seldom is an outright yes. Why is that? Because they detached having a baby from being married. So the answer isn't necessarily no. The answer is, well, you know, maybe, possibly, one day. We've talked about it. I don't know. Maybe not be a good time right now. So when you detach these things from each other, don't be surprised at the results you get. It's the same thing. I grew up on a farm. And now as a grown man, I look back and I go, man, I wish there were conversations with my family, with my grandparents of, hey, one day this will be yours. We want to create a legacy that you and your brothers and your cousins can step into and take this farm to a new place. Because if that would have been poured into me, if that would have been the conversations we would have had, who knows what my future would look like right now. But instead, what were we told? You don't want this life. We don't want this life for you. We want you to go get a degree. We want you to go do something else. Get away from the farm. Get out of 
the small town. We were told that. And what did we do? We did that. Right or wrong, I'm not saying my grandparents were wrong. I'm just saying I took their advice and I did what they said. And in the same way, if we're telling our kids, hey, put off marriage as long as possible. Put off having children as long as possible. Hey, marriage and children are not attached. Hey, we can detach all of these things. We're just attending baby showers, not wedding showers. If that is the message we're sending to the next generation, don't be surprised when they listen to us. And we get to a place where we're having less babies. And people are elevating their career and elevating climbing the career ladder over a family. The reality is they just listened to the older generation. They listened to you and me. So what are we, what are we giving to them? What are we imparting them? What, what type of wisdom are we giving them as they mature and get older? We'll be back. As we finish up today, look, the, the focus as we, as we go into a new chapter, and as AI is here and, and conversations are being had about population decline and, and you, you hear folks writing articles about uh, an economic collapse because of that and all these things, some of us, the, the, the initial reaction to that is, woe is me, oh no, I'm going to go back into my shell and kind of depart from society, I would caution you against that. Look, I, I, as, we, as we think about what's happening around our country, at times we get overwhelmed because all we think about is what's happening in D.C. or what's happening in, in state capitals thousands of miles from us. But here's, here's the answer from a biblical worldview. We preach God's truth. We preach God's gospel. We see our homes as disciple-making factories, not disciple-making of, of the culture, not discipling uh, the, the, the next generation to better understand politics. No, discipling them the things of God. Setting the bar high for marriage, setting the bar high for parenting. And when conversations arise... We, we don't say, oh, you don't want to have children. Oh, man, you don't want to get married like I did when I was 22. Worst decision of my life. No, you see what, unfortunately, at times we like to say, oh, it's the culture. The culture has gone out of whack. No, the reality is the culture is certainly out of whack and, and going in the wrong direction. But that's always been the case. That's always been known. The problem now is some of that is creeping in to the church. Some of that is creeping in, and our biblical worldview is all out of whack. And so even within the church, we're saying, hey, you don't, you don't want to get married like I did young. You don't want to have children. You need to go and chase this and do that and do this, and then you can put it off as long as possible. And so then don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the next generation listens to you. Don't be surprised when journalists are saying the answer may just be in robots down the road or, or AI. When we look around, even within 
those that would claim a biblical worldview, and we are already at a place where AI, technology, is babysitting our children. We are already at a place where AI and technology is putting a wedge between us and our spouse. We're already at a place where AI and technology is creating so many distractions that we don't have time to cultivate a marriage. We don't have time to cultivate relationships with our children. You see, just because we have progressed to a place where life is is much easier today doesn't mean we have to embrace all of it. I'm not telling you to go live, you know, like old homesteaders in a little house on the prairie, although that seems attractive and intriguing. I'm not telling you to do that. What I'm telling you is be intentional in the relationships. Have conversations with your children. Yes, a marriage is going to have its ups and downs. Yes, parenting is going to have its ups and downs. But, but again, what, are we, what wisdom are we imparting to the next generation? We, we have told a generation coming up that some life has more value than others. Abortion is, is as easy as, as taking a pill. That abortion is safer than Tylenol. That don't worry, if you, if you have an unplanned, unexpected pregnancy, you can have an abortion and everything will be fine. We have told a generation that, and then we act surprised that abortion is still relevant and happening around us. Well, we told them that it was okay. For, for 50 years, we told them it was the law of the land, and now what we're telling them is it is a right that you deserve. And so don't be surprised that they fight for that right. And in the same way, we have told generations that, that marriage isn't all it's cracked up to be. The grass is greener on the other side. It's hard. It's tough. Go live your life. Go enjoy yourself. Well, don't be surprised when they listen. Again, these are worthy conversations. And again, the secular culture doesn't have an answer. But there is an answer in the God of the universe, in a biblical framework, in a biblical worldview. That's where the answer is found. That's where hope can be found. That's where we can see a trajectory shift. And what an opportunity for the church to step in and provide that. We'll talk to you all next week.